Yay, Janie. That's our first announcement. Not bad, huh? I know. It's just fun to be around. Okay. Uh, well, before we get into our new series that we got coming on, I have a special treat for you. Uh, I made a new best friend, and he is a pastor from the Down Under of the Down Under. You'll understand in a second. Pastor Andrew, come on up. He's going to uh, pray a blessing for us. Share us from his heart. Brilliant. Hey, yeah. gone. G'day. <laughs> All right, you try now. Come on. G'day. You can't do that. <laughs> Don't even try, crikey. Uh, it's great. Steve Irwin's dead. Uh, yeah, we weren't really surprised in Australia. I know the rest of the world got shocked, but we were like, it's going to happen some point. I mean, the guys rolling around with crocodiles and, you know, playing with snakes and stuff. It's going to happen, you know. There was actually a comedian who used to start his routine like that by saying, Steve Irwin's dead, he can't do it anymore. But, um, but I'm here in America, so I can. And uh, so that's good. Um, I just want to give you just a snippet. I, I, you know, I could stand here and talk about myself like forever because it's my favourite subject. And, um, and, you know, but enough about me. What do you think about me? Um, I learned that from Janie Shogren last night. And... Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, I, I have a deep background with young people working, we, uh, myself and a group of young leaders got together and started this little movement in Western Australia called Youth Alive, which has kind of swept the nation. It was happening all over the... Uh, well, did I do something? Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. I was going to say big lunch, but I haven't eaten yet. So, um, so... Uh, you know, we, we got involved in this movement called Youth Alive and built that from just a few hundred young people up to about 10,000 young people coming to events. And it, that and the combination of Hillsong in Australia changed the church because uh, the young people poured into the church and the church didn't know what to do with them. And, and uh, we, it was great fun. I mean, you know, we, and right now I have a church of around 600 and 60% uh, of our church are 18 or under. And um, that has its challenges and its excitement. And, uh, you know, like you turn up to church and there's a hole in the wall, you know, in the shape of a person. And uh, <laughs> you just go, has anyone got a pot plant or something we can put in front of that? You know? And uh, so it's cool, you know, we love it. And uh, we're really enjoying what God's doing. Our church is an old church. It's, it's, um, it's 55 years old this year. And we've reinvented it. In the first three years, we grew it from 150 to 70, so we're pretty pumped about that. Uh, but God is doing amazing things. We started much in, about a building around this size, and we're in those buildings for about 15 years, and just uh, did as many, uh, you know, gatherings as we could, and watched God do amazing, amazing things. And now, we would see, you know, when we're running full steam. Uh, our Friday and Sundays, we would see between 50 and 70 people respond to Christ a week to become a Christ follower. And, and that's really awesome. Even churches in our city use our church to, you know, get people saved and then take them back to their church, you know. Cause, and I'm cool. I'm totally cool with that. And, uh, but, um, you know, we're watching God do amazing stuff. And I, I love uh, just, I've been hanging around with these guys and I love what you're doing. I love what the impact you're already having on the community. And I c couldn't encourage you enough. Uh, it's not about the size of your church. You know, um, when Paul was asked, 
you know, hey, prove your ministry. He didn't talk about this, how many churches he planted or you know, the size of the churches that he had. He talked about the things he went through and the things he survived. And, hey, I was shipwrecked three times. <laughs> that was cool. Uh, you know, try that. Uh, you know, I was beaten to within one lash of death, you know, a couple of times. You know, try that. Uh, uh, you know, this was like, you know, we go through stuff and that's okay. And it's really important to stay connected to people. And so I want to encourage you in all the work that you're doing out there. If you're not volunteering for that, I want to encourage you to get out there and uh, make a difference in someone else's life. And it'll give your life purpose and meaning. And you'll know that God's doing something, not just in you, but in them. And it's actually, to be really honest with you, it's, it's like, it's more beneficial to you than it is to them. Uh, when you get into it, you'll, you'll understand what I mean. And... Um, it's just so rewarding to watch people's lives be impacted and changed because we were there. And so I want to encourage you with that. And let me quickly pray for you, uh, you know, just to, in continuing in that. So, Father, I pray for everybody here, for every single person, no matter how they've walked in. And I pray they walk out of here a little taller, or a bit more spring in their step, and believing a bit more and, and hoping a bit more. And, and just I pray for this whole area of just good works in the community, that people would see their good deeds and praise their Father in heaven, that people would be attracted, that, that, that finance would come, that you would find the coin in the fish's mouth. And that finance would come to this place that to, be able to, to be able to do all the things they want to do. They're not even doing the things. They're just touching, scratching the surface on what they could do. And I pray in the name of Jesus, blessing and favor and generosity and business ideas and innovation and creativity in ways of doing new things, I pray, for fresh spiritual insight, for fresh insight into new things. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, that's a word we know. Okay. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, what Andrew didn't tell you is that he's, he's trained the Hillsong folks. You know who they are? You ever heard of Hillsong? Yeah, anyway. But uh, he's, he's been a discipler and a trainer there for years. And we have the opportunity tonight at the potluck for him to train you as well. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. So if you've never been to our potlucks, we mess around. We have a lot of fun. I want to encourage you to come tonight, and you're going to hear some more encouraging words from Andrew tonight. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about it. All right, well, let's go ahead and get started, huh? We're on a new series today. And just give you a heads up. I got this cold. I know I got this nasty cold, and I feel terrible. But you know what? We're going to make the best of it. We're going to have a good time today. But you just keep me in your prayer right now. And, and if I start like saying things that aren't scriptural, uh, just give me a little grace, okay? Just, I mean, if I start spacing out, or if it's 2.30 in the afternoon and I'm not done yet, you'll, you'll know the reason why. Anyway, um, since Andrew prayed for us, let's just go ahead and jump on in. We are in a new series called Your Spiritual Depth, and this is based off of a book that somebody gave me about a year and a half ago. It's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I decided to take the emotionally off because guys don't like to get emotional, right? So that's, that's why I did it. And, and this book is, um, well, it's, it's see, I've been, I've been a believer all my life. I've been in, I got saved in my kitchen at eight. And I mean, church culture has been a part of my DNA. And so I, I mean, I know this stuff, 
this book messed me up. And um, I write in my book, and I write in the margins, and I've called Mr. Peter Scacero some really bad names. I said, I underlined, you know, violently and say, I, I hate you, Peter, because he's made me look at stuff that is that, that I didn't necessarily want to look at. And it's all part of the whole symbolism of our, of our campaign. We have our iceberg here. And the, the concept of the iceberg is that it's only 10% is on the surface. 90% of who we are are our capabilities, our problems. They're beneath the surface. We don't let people see them, or we don't even know we're, that they're there half of the time. So what's, you know, what's on the surface is... Well, that's, a, that's the only thing that we really know about, we really see, or that we wanna, really want to show other people. And I have, uh, I have, I think probably one of the reasons why this book and this study has resonated so much with me growing up in the church is that I have seen people live surface Christianity their entire life. And the reason why myself and other people have not grown further in Christ is because they haven't had the courage to go deep and to look further at what makes them tick or what their motivations are, what uh, to deal with maybe some emotional stuff, or to even, even delve into a deep and, and contemplative spirituality. And, I, and I've seen that. I've seen that in myself. And I don't want to say that it's hypocrisy, right? I mean, what turns people off from the church is, you know, oh, there's a bunch of hypocrites. Steve was uh, brilliant last week in saying that, yeah, there's always room for one more hypocrite in church, so come on in. So it's really not, probably there was a time when I was the young pastor's kid where I did see church leaders as hypocrites, but I think that's changed now quite a bit. And now what I see is I see that people are on a spiritual journey and, and either they choose to level off or they get stuck because they haven't done some deeper work. And those are the two things. So I, I really don't have this nasty attitude about church people as being hypocrites anymore. I don't think it's fair. And I honestly, if you think that church people are hypocrites, I think it's a cop-out for you for not wanting to, to delve into spiritual stuff yourself. Oh, I don't want to hang out with those church people. They're a bunch of hypocrites. See, that, I believe, is a cop-out. I think what you're really saying is, I don't want to have to hang around messy people, and I don't want to have to hang around people that are going to challenge me and hold me accountable. I think, that's what's, I think that's what we're really saying. We all know that people are hypocrites, every single one of us. So we just need to take a deep, hard look at what we are. Now, this issue of emotionally healthy and spiritual contemplation, they, they go hand in hand. They're inseparable. If you begin to read the book, you'll begin to pick that up pretty quickly. And today we're going to be looking at one of the characters in the Bible that was, didn't have a spiritual life. He didn't know how to go deep. He never, the scriptures never say he got away and went, and went to be with the Lord, yet he was a powerful leader. And he was also an individual that was not in touch with his motivations, what motivated him, was not in touch with his, with his emotions. And you know, he's a guy, come on. Guys aren't in touch with their emotions, right? So he, he was very difficult. This individual is King Saul. He's the very first king of Israel who 
was anointed by God. He was anointed by Samuel, this holy man. And uh, this is, I didn't pick this because it's in the book, but Saul, King Saul, is actually one of the characters in the Bible that I identify with the most. It's actually Saul and Esau that, that I identify with. And the reasons why is because I, when, I, when I read these scriptures and when they were, when they were taught to me, either in Sunday school or from the pulpit, when I, when I read these characters I, and, the, and the stories and the way that the, the stories unfold and the way that I was seeing my own life, I, I saw it as, man, God is unfair. This isn't, this isn't justice. This isn't right. All right, so if you don't know what I'm talking about, Saul was the first king. He was anointed by God. He actually functioned in his gifts, and he was used by God in a powerful way. He had God's favor. And then one day, this really good-looking young guy that's a musician comes in and takes away his fame and glory, right? I think the bitterness came because I was dating this girl and uh, in high school, and then the, the, the guy with the cool guy at the guitar came in and swooped her from me. So there's the bitterness, right? There's the, the deep work that I have to do. Um, <laughs> uh, so it's just, you know, I'm, I was harboring bitterness towards the, the musician. So, I, but the thing is, see, God took his favor away from Saul and gave it to David. And I'm thinking to myself, that's not fair. And it even goes a bit, a bit further if you know the story. Because, get this, this is the one that I've struggled with for years. Because it says that uh, Saul, Saul, God was so disappointed in Saul that he sent an evil spirit to torment him. What? What is that? Because God's not the author of evil. And, and, and why, why is he commanding evil spirits? I, I know the answer to it now. So if you've ever struggled with that scripture, I'm not going to talk about it today. But you can email me and we'll talk about it later. But I was thinking to myself, that's not fair. You know, if you read the stories, you will realize that David was just as big of a sinner as Saul was. He was, ju- he was just as much as a mess up. He had bad motivations for doing things. But there was a difference. And we'll, we'll be looking into the difference between the two and why it is fair. So point of reference, the other biblical character that I, that I identify myself with is Esau. First of all, because he's hairy and, <laughs> you know, could, never mind. <laughs> just, I'll leave it alone. I said, I got to, I stop. I'm going to stop. My dad's not here, so I could say it and not get in trouble, but you would tattle on me. I know it. Anyway, um, anyway, it's really funny. Anyway, um, but Esau, you know, he was, he was the older brother. He was manly. You know, he went out and killed animals and provided for his family. He seemed like an awesome guy. And then his, his little brother, Jacob, who was a liar and a mama's boy, didn't do anything around the house, lies about the situation and swoops and steals his inheritance. And for some reason, God gives him favor and not Esau. And I was always frustrated with that one. I never thought that that was fair or just, but I never bothered asking God, so whatever. And... Um, so we're going to be looking today specifically at Saul. And this is where I began to 
see what was true, what was real, what was reality in Saul's life. And so if you want to get your Bibles out, we're going to look real quick. I think I'm going to paraphrase some of it for the sake of time. Um, actually, before we start, in our book, the next seven weeks that we're going to be looking at the seven pathways to uh, healthy spirituality is the first one next week, next week's topic. I love this one, by the way, is you have to know yourself that you may know God. That's going to be next week. Know yourself that you can know God. You know, if you don't have a proper understanding of who you are, if you don't even understand your own voice, how in the world are you going to be able to understand God's voice in your head? It's a very important topic to look at, and it's not about discovering yourself. It's about discovering God. Uh, next one, going back in order to go forward. You have to look at your past, some of the things that might have hurt you or whatever. You have to, look, you have to go back in order to go forward sometimes. Uh, the third week is the journey through the wall, which is a really important one. And um, sometimes journeying, sometimes the wall, when you come up against a wall and you have a breakthrough, uh, the first wall that you will have is actually salvation. And so uh, we'll be talking about some different walls, but uh, it's, a good, it's a really good one. Enlarge your soul through grief and loss. Uh, number five, week five, discover the rhythms of a daily office and a Sabbath. That's the one I don't like. So I might not be doing that one. <laughs> Six, growing into an emotionally mature adult. You know that you can be an adult, but you can be an emotional infant at the same time? Yeah. And then number seven, I don't like this one either. Uh, go the next step to develop a rule of life, okay? Those are the seven weeks that we're going to be looking at. And uh, again, today, the problem of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. Now, there's two parts that, that, uh, that could be beneath your iceberg or could be beneath the surface. Like I said, there's good things, and then there's not so good things. But let's look at a couple of the things that, here's some illustrations or examples of some bad things that you might not be paying attention to. Uh, this, is, this is from history. This is a quote from U.S. Navy uh, Kermit Tyler on December the 7th, 1941. You know what happened December the 7th, 1941? All right, something happened, something big. And, uh, and uh, Mr. Kermit of the U.S. Navy saw some blips on the radar, and he says, don't worry about it. It's nothing at all. <laughs> of course, it was the first wave of uh, Japan's attack on Pearl Harbor. Uh, here's another historical quote. I have no enemies. Why should I fear anything? That was uh, President McKinley uh, two days before he was shot. Here's a great quote from 1977. There is no reason for anyone or any individual to have a computer in their own home. That's a digital equipment chairperson, Ken Olson. The company's not in existence anymore. So those are, the, those are some things that, that, that we, maybe there's some things beneath your surface that are hijacking your life. They're ruining your life. There are problems that, you're, that you're just, you have your blinders on. You'd rather not look at them. Like, you know, the Japanese army is coming in and invading, and you're choosing not to look at it. You're choosing to ignore it. There's some pain in underneath your iceberg, underneath the surface. And 
you got saved. You accepted Christ into your life. You have the surface taken care of. But the gospel needs to get to other parts of your life. It's transformed the part on the top. He wants to transform the top, the part on the bottom. We got to let Jesus in and let the gospel do its work on every part of our lives. Okay? So there's some stuff that, that, that God wants to get down into and fix. But did you know that there's some stuff beneath the surface? There's some gifts, there's some abilities, there is your destiny, there's your calling that you haven't quite tapped into yet. You don't even know it's there. There's some hidden stuff about your life. There's some blessings in your life. There's dreams, and God wants to pull it to the top. He wants, you to, he wants to expose it. He wants to take those layers off. Look, here's some good examples in history of, of, of the positive things that are beneath the surface. Here's a quote. You ain't going anywhere, son. You ought to go back to driving that pickup truck said the grand old Opry manager in 1954, right after firing Elvis Presley. <laughs> you won't amount to much, a Munich teacher told Albert Einstein at the age of 10. Uh, and Albert, uh, he failed math as well. Here's another quote. Your voice... With your voice, no one is going to let you into broadcasting. You need to quit. A CBS producer told that to Barbara Walters in 1958. See, things aren't always as they appear. Did you know that? There's things about me that, that, that they don't always appear, or I don't show them, or I don't even know about them. Um, Naturally, I'm an introvert, so I, I don't do it anymore, but I used to throw up out there before I came in to preach. So there's things about you that you just don't know about yourself. There's more to you than you could possibly imagine. In these eight weeks, we're going to be taking a look at it. Okay, to the scriptures. Uh, Samuel, 1 Samuel 15. And I'm going to paraphrase some of it. Um, what's going on? Again, Saul is the anointed king of Israel. He has been placed. He has been, uh, there's this relationship between the priest and the king or the holy man and the king. And this is the, this is a, they're experimenting, right? They're experimenting with a nation. And, you know, the religious leader is, is abdicating some type of an authority to, to a new king and, you can see it. There's like a power balance. Right? I don't even know if it's a power struggle. But Samuel, the priest, has a lot of influence and is still directing things in the kingdom of Israel. And God told, tells Samuel and Saul that you got to go in. This is the unfun part about, you know, the Bible. So you have to go in and you have to get those Amalekites those evil people, they're evil, they, they do horrible things, and they did, too. We know this through archaeology. They are horrible people. Uh, I mean, they, they, they sacrifice kids and stuff. They're just, you know, they're not good people. God says to Samuel and Saul, you're going to go in and you're going to kill them all. Kill every single one of them. 
You don't, don't hold any slaves, don't, don't hold any servants. You, you're gonna wipe out, the, you're just, it's pure genocide. You're gonna kill men, women, children. You're even gonna wipe out all the animals and all the livestock. You're, just, you're gonna devastate them all. And, um, and so they, they, they go to battle, they go to war. After the battle, Samuel comes in and he approaches Saul. And this is the famous, I hear the, what's this ringing in my ears? I hear the bellowing of sheep and cattle. What, why do I hear animal noises in my head? This is a telltale sign that you didn't do what you were supposed to do. And, and Saul's response, I mean, Saul's response is Christianese. You know what Christianese is? Do you, you know what that is? Uh, well, we can teach a class on it. After the 101 class, we have Christianese 101. We will teach you how to talk like a Christian and how to say the right words. And, and Saul does this. And he says, oh, bless you. Bless you, Samuel. Bless you. We, we did it. We won. And, and so, so Samuel is he's going into this environment. He's clearly disappointed. He's like, what's going on here? Why, why are there animals here? And, and, and Saul's like, not only do we have their animals, we have their king too. Say, what? You didn't kill the king as well? And so we have Saul that it didn't do what he was supposed to do. And what is important, what shows, what reveals to us that he was not only spiritually immature, but also emotionally immature. His response to this situation is both. Even though, even though Saul had the ability to tap into God's presence, and he did, the spirit of the living God actually fell on Saul, and he prophesied in powerful ways. God did direct him to certain areas, and he, did, he was able to hear God's voice. Pastor has, pastor has a saying. Since he's not here, I'm going to tell you, Okay. He says, um, people that speak in tongues can be some of the meanest people on the planet. So just because you're able to tap into your spiritual gifts doesn't mean that you're emotionally mature or spiritually mature for that matter. It will only take you so far. Saul was able to do it. So big deal if you can do it, right? So what's Saul's response? All right, uh, let's go to verse 20. This is Saul's response. But I did, I did, I did, I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission that the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agad, their king. See, he's right off the bat, he's lying about what he's done. Actually, I don't even think he realizes what he's doing. He says, I did obey. I, I, just, I, I, I devastated everybody, and I brought back their cattle and the king. Those guys should be dead too, right? So right off the bat, he begins to manipulate. He begins to twist the truth. He begins to make up excuses. Here, here comes the big excuse. So he already, he's already contradicting himself. 
the soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, right? Right there, blame shift. It, they did it. I'm, I'm commander in chief. I told them what to do, but let's go ahead and blame them. They did it. The soldiers took the cattle and the sheep from the plunder. The best of what was, and then he begins, and the best of what was devoted for God. And so we saved the best for God. Hmm? In order to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God, at Gilgal. All right. Now, so Samuel is listening to Saul's response. And if you, have you ever been in a situation where um, logic has dissipated? It's fallen apart? Like, think about your kids. Think about, think about trying to get your kids to do something. Sophia, go clean your room. I did clean my room, Daddy. And then you walk in, and she's like, moved one pile over here, right? But, Daddy, I have to, I did clean my room, and I did obey, but I didn't do, you know. She begins to make excuses, and she tells half-truths. And if you're a parent, you know this, because it's maddening, right? And you begin to get that nervous twitch in your eye, because you're trying to reason, you're trying to reason with a six-year-old. And this is what's going on with Samuel. He's, he can't believe what he's hearing. It's like, am I dealing with an adult here? He's already making excuses. He's already justifying it. He's already saying, well, the, the best was left for God, and, and I obeyed. So he's, he's already lying about what he's done. And he's, gotta, he's just got to be going crazy. Even, look, look at his response. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of the lambs. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. That's like witchcraft. And arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Interesting, huh? You know that idol you know what idolatry is? It's like worshiping idols. And so if you have an arrogant bone in your body, do you know who the idol is? It's you. Right? It's you. Arrogance is like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the Lord, um, the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, okay, this is where, again, this is where my, I had the problem because we, we're going to see something very interesting happen in the way that Saul responds to Samuel. It says, then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. What? He's confessing. He's repenting. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you. Forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. All right. This is where I had the problem because David confesses. David killed somebody because of a woman, right? You know this story. And, and he kind of fibbed about it too. 
So what's the difference? Why, why doesn't God accept Saul's forgiveness of sin? I'm sorry, I, I sinned. All right. This is what I think the tone is, and, and hopefully I can, I can point it out when we look at it. But I think that the tone of the forgiveness or the repentance, if you will, I don't even know if I want to call it that, is more like a, oops, my bad. It's like when politicians are forced to ask for forgiveness. Have you seen these guys? Have you seen our politicians where they do something dumb and then they have to apologize publicly? Do you believe that it is heartfelt? No, it's not. It's a, it, they're, they're under political pressure. They have to have the approval of people and that's, they have to get your vote and that's the only reason why they're apologizing publicly. But it's not coming from the heart. I know this is general, but, but you know what I'm talking about, right? This is Saul's response. And it, you could see it because he says, if you paid attention, he says, I was afraid of the people. Did you see? Did you catch that? So there is, there's a fear of man that he has that's beneath his surface that he hasn't dealt with. That he hasn't dealt with. Okay. Now there's uh, three points that shows us how um, emotionally weak Saul really is. Okay, your first point on your outline is that Saul says no to reflection and self-awareness. Meaning that Saul doesn't really know Saul. He doesn't know what makes him tick. He doesn't understand his own motivations. He's unaware that, that the fear of man, of what people think, is driving him. See, why did he take the cattle? Why didn't he slaughter them? It's because the soldiers were probably saying, there's a lot of value here. This is cash. Okay, you guys know that, right? That, that, that herds and livestock in the ancient world, they were cash. You could trade them for spouses. You could try that with your teenagers and their dating situation. You'd haul some goats and sheep over to your future in-law's house, see how that goes. And he was like, okay, he probably was, that was probably the fear. Okay, if, if, I, don't, if I don't get some booty for my guys, I mean, animals, that kind of booty. <laughs> if I don't get some money, if I don't get some money for my guys, some plunder from my guys, they're not going to like me. They did all this work and there's no reward. They're going to abandon me. We actually see it in verse, thir in chapter 13, he does the same he does the same thing. Um, they, there's a similar situation where Saul is, they were on another campaign, and they do, what they do what God told them to do, and they're victorious. And, and Samuel says to Saul, you need to wait here for me, and then we will offer sacrifices, right? So they had to make an offering to the Lord. They had to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Uh, Samuel is out of town. And he tells Saul, you need to be patient. You need to slow down. And you need to wait for me to come back so we do it the right way. We have to do things the right way. Okay? And so they're waiting. They're waiting. They're waiting. They're waiting. 
And Saul's army, they start getting fidgety and they start peeling off. We're not going to wait any longer. And so Saul says, all right, I'm not waiting. I'm going to perform the sacrifice myself. I am not going to be patient with the Lord. I can't wait any longer. I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. I got to do it now. This is the right thing to do. It seems like the right thing to do. It's a godly thing to do. I'm going to make a sacrifice to the Lord. I'm just not waiting to do it the right way. Does that make sense? He's doing something that God didn't ask him to do. So he's unaware of his own his own problems. He's not, he's not, he, doesn't understand, he doesn't understand his own fear of man. He doesn't understand his own issues of anger and jealousy. He's unaware that he's a jealous person. Do you, do you, are you a jealous person? Like, if somebody in your workplace, if they get a promotion or if they get honored for something that's doing good, how do you, can, you, can you actually celebrate with them with their success? Or does something deep down inside you go, err? What's your response to that? We'll talk about that in a minute. So he's, he's completely unaware of his, of his jealous behavior. Why? Because he never once addresses it. He only acts it out. His anger, his jealousy bursts out. He tries to kill David six times, three times with a spear, right? He just, he's just, he freaks out and he just snaps, right? Because he's never done the hard work of understanding what his emotions are. He snaps, tries to kill David. Other times, he's maybe a little bit more composed, but he still doesn't understand what his motivations are. He's got this jealousy, and he manipulates the situation in order to get David killed. He says, marry my daughter. Oh, but first, you have to kill 200 Philistines. So what's he doing? He's sending him in. He's, it's a death sentence. He knows he's, he's going to fail. They are, you know, the irony is that David does kill 200 Philistines. And then he sends David out into the front lines to have him, you know, killed. So he, he's a manipulator too, right? So he doesn't understand. He's not self-aware. He doesn't know that he's jealous. He doesn't know that he's angry. He's got rep repressed and explosive anger issues. Envy destroys your ability to think straight. Did you know that? If you are angry or if you're jealous about something, you're not thinking straight. You're not thinking with a renewed mind. It's a killer. It's a killer in church, huh, Andrew? Yep. All right, next point. Saul says no to cultivating a personal relationship with God. So here's the tension that I always have with this is, okay, why, why is David the favorite? Why does David have God's favor and not Saul? They're, they're both major screw-ups. Why? Never once do we see Saul retreating and being with God alone. Don't get me wrong. He, this, this boy goes to church every Sunday. He does lots of religious stuff. He makes himself very visible in the public sector, in the public scene. They all know that he is the anointed leader by God because he keeps on reminding everybody. Do you know these types of people? 
But never once do we ever see Saul writing poetry to God. Never once do we see Saul going away and praying with God, getting alone, silence, solitude, not only reflecting on his own self, but trying to reflect on God and, and hearing God's voice. See, Saul never really heard God's voice on his own. It always came through Samuel. He was feeding off of somebody else's spirituality. You know what we want to do in this church? Is that I don't want you to feed off my spirituality. Or pastors, or Steve, or Janie's, or anybody else that we have come, and, and special speakers. You did, I mean, we can lead, we can encourage, we can guide, but you should not be spiritually drafting off of us. You need to have a spiritual life, a contemplative life of your own where you connect with God. It doesn't happen just on Sunday. It's a daily walk. I could talk about that for a while. So he never does. He never cultivates this relationship with God, and we never see him be honest and real with God. Okay, in contrast... We have the Psalms. The Psalms that David wrote, it is, it is the spectrum of emotions. Oh, God, you're so great. Your glory fills the heavens. Your majesty is overwhelming me. I'm a dog. I am at the lowliest place in the world. God, you've blessed me with all these different things. God, my enemies hate me. My best friends stab me in the back. Why have you forsaken me? I feel so alone. God, you are my best friend. You know, you're, you're, you're closer than a brother. You know, see, David has the honesty with God to express his full range of emotions. He even says stuff like, I hate my enemies. You kick their teeth in, God. I can't stand those guys. He has the full range. He's honest with his own emotions. He expresses it to God. Do you think Saul ever said, you know, God, I'm so jealous right now. How do I get over this jealousy? Did he ever do that? No, he buried it. He kept it beneath the surface. He never dealt with his emotions. All right. It's key. We got to have this personal relationship with God. Now, that's an easy, flippant Christian word to say, right? How many times have you heard that Christianese word? Do you have a personal relationship with God? We've heard it a million times. I'll tell you, I mean, I've, I've, I've had, I have a personal relationship with the Lord, right? I have to hear God's voice. And the only time, there's different ways God expresses or manifests himself to me and to you. But a majority of the time, I got to slow myself down. You know, God will come in and invade my life at different points, right? You know, he'll keep me from getting run over in the street. You know, he keeps bad guys from coming in my house. You know, some occasionally he'll, he'll, he'll violate my free will if I'm about to do something dumb. But the time that I can only really hear God's still, small voice, the one that truly transforms, is that I got to do what Jesus did, and I have to get away by myself extremely difficult if you have a bunch of kids and I have to get away by myself and I have to be still and I have to be silent. Now, if you have a personal daily devotional time with God, God bless you, but it's probably not you're probably not doing it right. 
because this is the way that I am. I'm a studier. I like to study. I like to consume information and knowledge. I want to learn. I'm a lifelong learner. I'm never going to change that. But I can't, I can't open my Bible and, just, and, and have an information dump and say that that's my personal relationship with God. No, that's study time. There's a difference between study time and spending time with God. And for me, the way that I'm wired, the way that my mind works, I have to maybe just pick one scripture in Psalms or in Proverbs or in the Gospel of John, and I just meditate on a really small, simple verse, and then I'm just quiet before the Lord. I don't know. I've got verses memorized. Sometimes that's all I need to do is I just need to, like, sneak off to the backyard for a while and just rest in God's presence. Silence. In silence, you can hear God's voice. Saul never did this discipline. You know, and he says, you know, to obey is better to sacrifice, right? You know that one? The word for obey and the word for listen, they're the same word in Hebrew. So he didn't even hear God's voice. He said, you're not even hearing me. You're not obeying me. And we have to get to our, we have to get ourselves, get ourselves into a, in a, in a, into a position to listen, to listen to God's voice. Can you do that? Are you doing that? This is a fast-paced society that we live in. Are you slowing yourself down fast enough to hear God talk? I know I don't. All right. Next point for unhealthy spirituality. This one's tough. Again, it deals with pride and arrogance and all that kind of stuff. Is that uh, emotionally unhealthy people, Saul, Saul says no to being broken through setbacks and difficulties. He's a poor loser, in other words. Talked about him waiting. He's like, I can't handle this setback right now. We gotta, I gotta make things happen on my own. He, when he dealt with a difficult situation, he never learned from it. We see him repeating the same pattern of behavior over and over again. Like he has a major setback. He has a major loss. Samuel gets on in his case for sacrificing when he shouldn't have. He didn't learn. He wasn't broken. You know the part about the God sending a spirit to torment him? This is part of it. He was never broken. He never allowed God to break his heart. His heart was hardened. If your heart is hardened, I got some bad news for you. If you allow God, he's going to break it, and it's going to hurt like Hades. But you have to have a soft heart. You have to have a heart that says, I can't do it. I can't do it within my own power. I have failures, and I'm going to choose not to ignore them anymore. Uh, There's a saying that goes around our church. It's part of who we are. Uh, it's off of, of Jacob who wrestled with God all night long. Have you ever wrestled with God? Have you ever had an issue with God where you're just fighting him on it? 
Like, you, for some reason, you think you know better than God, and you're going to fight God on an issue. That's, don't do that. I don't, I wouldn't do that. God, in the wrestling match, this, this angel of the Lord, theophanies, it could be Jesus, whatever. At the end of the ra- wrestling match, he just touches Jacob's hip, the, the point of strength. This is the strongest part of your body. Touches that point, and, 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 and you know, made him walk with the limp for the rest of his life. He broke him. Jacob wanted to wrestle with God. He wrestled with him all night long. And the only thing that God had to do to break Jacob was to touch his hip and broke him. Sometimes we just need to be broken and we need to learn from that brokenness. you need to minister out of a place of brokenness. If you have a heart for people, and if you have a heart for God, and if you want to serve, guess what? You have to serve out of your place of brokenness. You can't serve out of your abilities and your natural gifts. You have to serve out of brokenness and spiritual gifts. All right. I'm getting there, actually. All right. On your outline, there are the top 10 symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. Top 10 symptoms of unhealthy spirituality. There are spiritual people that aren't healthy. And here is how you'll see them. This is how you'll see them in yourselves. I'm going to read through this list. Top 10 symptoms. Number one. Using God to run from God. And that's what Saul does. He uses God talk and he uses, he blame shifts. Well, I got this, you know, I'm running from God, but then I'm going to sacrifice my best. So he's, you know, he's manipulating, he's running from God. Here, here's what it looks like personally or practically. You know, your, your marriage is a wreck. God is telling you or has told you that you need to pay attention to your marriage. I've told you about this before. Pay attention to your marriage. Go on a date with your spouse. Go to counseling. Get away. Schedule in some time. But you don't want to do that because that's the hard work. And so what you do instead is you go to every single Bible study that the church has to offer every single day of the week, and that makes you feel better about yourself. But you're doing stuff that God didn't ask you to do. You use God to run from God's call. It's a great trick that we do on ourselves. This is probably one of the points that I resonate with most growing up within the church because I've seen it over and over and over again. Next point, ignoring the emotions of anger, sadness, fear. This is that issue of saying, look, I have these feelings. What am I going to do with them? Look, they're a reality. I am angry right now. What am I going to do with it? Well, I guess I ought to pray with it, pray about it instead of, burying it deep down until I snap. Number three, dying to the wrong things, the healthy pleasures of life that God gives you. You know, when you become a Christian, when you step across that line of faith, when you want to engage in God, you know, the temptation is, okay, I have to sacrifice absolutely everything in the world. And God's saying, no, you don't. You don't have to listen to Air One and KSGN 24 hours a day if you like jazz, listen to jazz. There might be some music that you need to cut out of your life, but don't sacrifice art because you're trying to appear 
religious. Don't die to the wrong stuff. Die to sin. Don't die to the pleasures of life that God's given you. See, we, we like to self-flagellate. You know what flagellate means? They did it in the Middle Ages where they'd whip themselves because they, they'd punish themselves because they felt bad about what they did. And so they, they, they went esoteric. They took away everything that, that brought them pleasure in life, and they're like, okay, I have to beat myself up for God. He doesn't want that. It's not scriptural. It's not what Jesus, Jesus calls us to a life and life to the full. So you don't have to suffer for Jesus. Sometimes you do. But you don't have to die to the wrong things, right? All right, number five, number four, denying the past impact on the present. This is an important one. You have to understand your family of origin. You have to understand, okay, what makes me tick, but like what stuff did I inherit from my family that is good? Like there's some good things about your parents that you want to identify with, but then there's also some bad things about your parents that you want to get rid of. And have you ever said this? I'm never going to grow up to be like my parents. You ever said this? And then you turn 40, 45, and then you realize that you're acting exactly like your parents? Like, ah, oh, dang it. You, you know, you ever done that? Or I'm just, am I preaching to myself? Okay. You know, we're, we're a multi-generational, multicultural church. We, we pull from a lot of different cultures. We're all different. You guys have to realize that when you rub up against each other. I married a Sicilian Japanese gal. I had to make some adjustments. I had to understand what makes my wife tick. Sorry, baby. Um, but, you know, she, she does things differently than I do. And we, you need to understand, you know, what motivates you. Are you, are you a fiery Latin person? Are you a subdued Norwegian, it's important. You need to understand where you come from. All right. Dividing life into secular and sacred compartments. You're able to forget about God while you're doing other stuff. You know what? We're masters at this. We, we can have different compartments in life. We can, we can categorize everything. And we do it with our spiritual life and our worldly life. Young people are really masters at this. They can, you know, they can party all week and come to church and praise Jesus on Sunday. And it doesn't phase them. You can only do it for so long, right? You know what I'm talking about. Those of you who have been around long enough, you can only pull that one off for so long. But when we lie to ourselves and we say, look, I can... I can maintain this, this fixation, this, this, this thing that I enjoy, this fetish about my life. I can, I can have that, and I can have God too. Only for so long. Only for so long. He's going to accept you in with grace. He's going to work with you right where you're at. Hopefully, we will do the same as a church. We'll give you as much grace as you possibly need to grow spiritually. But there's going he's, he's to be... He's out to... To, separate, to make no distinctions between your spiritual life and your everyday life. They need to be one and the same. And it, it takes some time. For some of us, it takes a lot of time. Okay, number seven. Sorry, number six. Doing for God instead of being with God. This is that Mary Martha illustration. Look, it, it, once you become a believer of Christ, you feel like you've got to do stuff to make God happy. And it's, that's called religion. 
That's what Saul did. He thought, okay, I got, I'm going to give things to God. I'm going to placate him. I'm going to make him happy by, by doing this or by giving this. And that's just a big trap that we all can fall into. And sometimes, again, you just need to do what, what Mary did, and she just sat at the feet of Jesus. She rested in his presence, and she just listened, right? Instead of going around crazy, a million miles an hour, trying to do for God to make him happy. Can't do that. Uh, spiritualizing away conflict. This is you, you spiritualize away conflict because you don't want to go beneath the surface and deal with difficult situations or difficult people. Meaning like, let's say you have a problem with your boss and he's on your case, or you don't see eye to eye on something and you don't want to confront him or bring up the topic. You don't want to speak the truth in love. And so you choose to spiritualize away the conflict. Meaning you say, the devil has possessed my boss. <laughs> that makes sense? I'm under spiritual attack. I'm in warfare. We need to pray this away. No, you don't need to pray it away. You need to confront the person and have an honest conversation. That makes sense? We, we, do we, why do we do this? Because we think that it's easier. We trick ourselves. Look, there's, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be conflict in the church. There's going to be difficulties in your family. Some of it might be spiritual. Well, actually, everything is spiritual, right? Let's address the issues. All right. Covering over brokenness, weakness, and failure. This is what Saul did. He was unable to look at his failures and his weaknesses and to address them. He wasn't willing to be broken. Number nine, living without limits. That means that, you know, we're not going to ask God's opinion. We're going to go ahead and go forward and do God's stuff, whether he asks us or not. And if God tells us to stop, we're not stopping. The bottom line to that one is you think that you can pull it off by yourself and that you don't need God. God does put limits on us. You can't do it all. And then the last one, judging the spiritual journey of other people. Okay, this is, this, is, this is a horrible thing. Horrible thing. If you find yourself with a judgmental attitude and spirit where you're just, all you're doing is you're just looking at the problems of other people and their walk and the bad things that they do. And if you want to highlight that, to yourself and to the world, if you want to show everybody how bad that other person is, or if they were a real Christian. Have you ever heard this term before? Well, real Christians don't do that. Well, real, you know, real Christians, well, well, they're spirit-filled, and you're not spirit-filled. Well, real Christians, they read the Bible line by line, 24 hours a day. And so you're just not a real Christian. I mean, once we start judging other people's spiritual journey, you know, we're just taking the attention that God has on us and our spiritual journey, and we're ignoring it. Does that make sense? All right. If I can have the band and the ushers to band come up first, and as the band is on the way, I want you to take a look at this list, this list that we just read, these symptoms of unhealthy spirituality. Take a good look. Read through them again right now. Take a quick little read through. Ushers, go ahead and come on up to the front. And as you're reading through it, 
we're going to pray. We're going to pray for the offering. We're going to pray for where you guys are at right now. And we're going to pray that God will highlight one of these areas for you in your life. And this is the thing that you're going to work on this week. Maybe you have all of these symptoms. I don't know. We all probably do to some degree. But God wants you to work on one this week. Bow your heads. Father, right now, as we begin to receive your offering, your word says obedience is better than sacrifice. God, I pray that you'd get our hearts into a position where we just we give because we love. We give because we obey, but we're not given to get. We're not sacrificing for you. We're not doing you a favor. And I pray that this comes out of our heart. And Father, right now, I pray for every single person in this room. I pray that, that they will have this divine courage to look what's beneath the surface, that we will no longer be surface Christians or even surface people, that we will be completely transparent about who we are, where we're at, honest with our feelings. Pray that we will have a deep desire to connect with you in a contemplative way in silence where we can hear your voice. So, Father, right now, I pray that we can hear your voice as you speak to your children, as you speak to us this day. God, I pray that you will just highlight one of those 10 points to each and every single person. I pray that you will put that symptom in their head and say, this symptom is mine now, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it from you. I'm going to take this soulish spirit from you. We're going to remove it. We're going to surgically remove it this week. So whatever that is, God, I pray that you will just see it highlighted in your mind or on that page. This is that symptom I need to deal with today. This is my sacrifice to you. This pain in my life is what I give to you this week. Father, I pray you bless this offering. Bless what we offer you in worship. Thank you so much for blessing such a beautiful church. Amen.